Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I am Sarah Jane Case and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Happy Friday. I hope your day is treating you well. Today, I am talking with Kate Bear, a two times New York Times bestselling author of What Kind of Woman? And I hope this finds you well. Her work has been published in The New Yorker, Literary Hub, Huffington Post, and The New York Times. And her new book, And Yet, is coming out in November. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor. I am so excited. You're one of my top fours that I follow on Instagram and oh keep gosh. up with. Who are the other ones? <laughs> um, you know, um, Chi Chi, who wrote the Black, um, the, oh no, she wrote the Black Liberation. Okay. For yeah. Black Liberation. Um, she's a four and I adore her. Honestly, I love fours. I'm kind of not biased, but a little. I mean, I did marry a four. Oh, did you? Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. So there's like definitely a bias there, I think. Is he so annoying though? I think fours are very (laughs) annoying. And when I meet other fours, I kind of think, wow, that's really sad. (laughs) I feel a little bit bad for people that know me because once I kind of get into other fours energy, I'm like, oh, this is so annoying. It's so much feeling and roping everyone else into their like personal sadness and drama. And I am just, <laughs> it's so annoying to me. Well, that's fascinating because my husband is a four and only really gravitates to other male fours. And I think that's like socialization, like men typically don't talk about their feelings. So having other men who will, um, but yeah, I only know women fours. I don't even know if yeah. I ever met a man four. That's, a man <gasps> oh. four feels like that feels like a, a, a step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's like a lot of he's helped me a lot, you know, with my feelings. But he, I will say, like Lorelai Gilmore, I'm convinced she's a seven wing eight and drives oh, me nuts. I can't watch absolutely girl. She nuts. She is absolutely that. That is exactly <laughs> what she is. It's you're like seven, way too right? Because you're a seven. Yeah. I have yeah. two friends who are sevens, um, so I'm very that they're in my sphere, and so I love a seven. They're such a good time. <laughs> they're like, yeah, they're the best kind of friend in my opinion because they Aww. just bring everybody else up, um, which is so fun. Yeah, I think the four seven combination is really fascinating because we both are like self referencing. 
Yeah. We are pretty like kind of have our own agendas as to like what we want to be doing. But at the same time, like my four, he helps me to feel and then I help him to like do what he wants to do and like think about the future in a positive light and really have hope and optimism. Yes. I love that. That's that's really interesting. I know you talk about the Enneagram all the time, but I don't. So I could listen to you talk about it so much. <laughs> um, well, I'm excited to hear about you and like your Enneagram journey, but I know the people who listen to the podcast religiously are going to be like, what about a rosebud and thorn? So <laughs> what is your rose today, your bud and your thorn? I think my rose today is, well, I, I have the other, just yesterday, my phone did like the photo memory pop up. You know, that's sometimes that's sometimes gonna be a rose and thorn. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. what popped up was my kids doing virtual school during peak pandemic. And I was shocked <sighs> how easily those feelings came back of like desperation and sadness. So I guess my rose today is that my kids are in school mm-hmm. and able to go to school. And it, it felt like such a dark time. And I'm just, I don't know, my rose is that they're in school today and mm-hmm. I can do this podcast and I yeah. can I can uh, do my work without having to also homeschool them against their will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super, it's <laughs> a very valid rose. <laughs> what about uh, your bud? My bud, my bud, that's what I'm looking forward to, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think going on book tour, I... I'm an introvert, so I always assumed that a book tour would be a stretch for me. But now that I've done it, I know it's very life-giving. So I'm mm. very excited to do that again. I love that. And your I, thorn. And my thorn <clears throat> my thorn is kind of my rose and my bud, like, smashed together with the rest of my life, which mm. is, like, you know, with all this, these joys, my kids being in school and going on a book tour, comes a lot of chaos. Um, mm-hmm. My kids have been bumped up to a level of responsibility and work in their new like grades that they're all in. And that's, that's been hard. Um, Extracurriculars and two working parents. I feel like our family of six sometimes feels like it's about to implode. (laughs) It's like we're Mm -hmm. doing what we can to maintain sanity, but I feel, I don't know. There's just a lot of moments where it feels like too much. So we're we're doing our best, but my thorns are those moments that, definitely pop up day to day. Um, some weeks are better than others, but that it just feels like we're always on the brink of a total meltdown. Mm-hmm. That's so relatable. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. And I know it's not just me, which is actually mm-hmm. very helpful. Um, you know, I'm in conversations with a lot of women on a, on a day-to-day basis who are going through mm-hmm. the same thing. So that, that helps. Um, Okay. How did you, because speaking of like sitting with people in these conversations, like how did you find your Enneagram type? Did you know you were type four right away? Oh my gosh. The second I read it, I think it started with in like high school with the Myers-Briggs, which mm-hmm. um, I know they're not the same, but it's kind of a gateway drug to the Enneagram for me. <laughs> and uh, I knew right away, the second I read, I've probably read like two sentences. I don't, I don't remember exactly when that was, but um, for sure knew right away. And um, the Enneagram has become so popular that I feel like most people I know could could tell me what theirs is. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was like immediate, like, yes, this is me. Was it Absolutely. like a positive? Were you like, okay, I found myself. Like, I feel known. Or was it like, I feel really known. I wish I wasn't <laughs> so known. <laughs> yeah. I, I think 
it was very validating for me. Also a little cringy as, as the kids say, um, mm-hmm. honestly, the Enneagram has helped me the most in my relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. It has definitely helped see myself, but also there are a few relationships. I have a friend, one of my best friends is an eight, which I misdiagnosed as a seven. And that was really pushing up against her a lot in the last mm-hmm. few years. And once I realized she was an eight, it gave me so much context. You know, you're never supposed to tell someone what they are. And so mm-hmm. I was telling her she was a seven. She'd never even heard of the Enneagram. And once yeah. she read about it, it, and this was all my fault. <laughs> I, I, We've all been there. It gave me so much context for her and, and how she sees the world and has actually been so beautiful. There's so many jokes about eights and like Trump, but really we need mm-hmm. them. Um, mm-hmm. She has such a moral compass that inspires me so much mm-hmm. and she gets so much done. <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. And, and and not just her, just there, there's a lot of relationships that I have. My husband's a five and they're, they're just, they're kind of, they can be so awful. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he's great, but I also, he, has, <laughs> he also um, really thinks he knows what's best and, and seeing, seeing his you know, kind of like descriptions of how, how they think has also really helped me see him for who he is and not who I'm trying to make him be. So I, mm. I would say the Enneagram has, has helped m- more in my relationships um, than anything else. I love that sentence, like seeing him for who he is, not who I'm trying to make him to be. Yeah. That's so good. I feel like that's like marriage in a nutshell. Like, Oh, totally. Mm. So you found the Enneagram. You were like, this is a little bit cringy, but also I feel known. I'm definitely a type four. <laughs> um, yes. Can we talk a little bit about your career journey? Like you have two New York Times bestsellers. You have a third book coming out in November. Did you always know you were going to be a writer or how did that get started for you? Oh, for sure. I, I always wanted to be a writer. Um, even as a little, you know, six, seven, eight year old, that's that's exactly who I wanted to be. <laughs> I recently went through all of my like childhood memorabilia and it was so telling I, I found an about the author page in my second grade journal. Um, <laughs> and I thought, oh, this is so funny. And I was such a feeler then and, and had such a flair mm-hmm. for drama <laughs> and thinking I was so special and that no one else was like me, which is very much a four thing to say and feel. Mm-hmm. And I, it was so affirming to me, almost kind of a comfort. Like I'm always going to be this person. So I might as well love her and embrace her, which um, was definitely also a step in the direction of poetry. You know, poets mm-hmm. kind of get the rap of as being, um, I don't know, you kind of, whenever I pictured a poet personally, I kind of pictured like a grad student, like smoking a cigar, like generational mm-hmm. wealth. They're like in Paris, you know, writing poems about, you know, and, and I, I didn't want to be that. And then when I, mm-hmm. not to quote like Cheryl Sandberg, but I kind of had to lean in a little bit mm-hmm. to, not to that, but to who I actually am and who I've always been. And, and, and that's definitely is a poet. And it, it took me a while to get there. I, I was really trying to be something else. And I, mm-hmm. I, I was writing novels, I was writing nonfiction and, and none of that really spoke to me. But as soon as I started writing poetry for a larger audience, I felt like I was home. I, I felt like I had just I feel like I had arrived to something that I'd always been walking towards, which was um, was really lovely. 
Hmm. Not, not that it's easy and, and not that mm-hmm. it, it, it's so easy that I can sit down and write a poetry book, but that when I'm doing it, it feels right. And, and mm-hmm. that has been, that has been wonderful to feel. Yeah. Did you, when you wrote your first book, first of all, when you wrote your first book, did you know like, okay, I, I'm gonna be a writer. Like this is me writing. It will actually like, let me back up a little bit. Is the first book that I know about your first book? I wrote an entire novel before that that's not published. Okay. Um, I've written, I was writing pieces for a blog. I was writing for Huffington Post. I was writing and that was, it was, I think you're a writer no matter if you publish a book or not. So I, I mm-hmm. felt, I felt like a writer. Um, an author is kind of a different word. <laughs> um, and so I did feel like I was finally in my own voice in poetry mm-hmm. for sure. And then, what made you start? Like, where? What was the like moment where you're like, I'm gonna start poetry. I'm gonna start writing poetry. Mary, well, I'd I'd always been writing poetry, but um, when Mary Oliver died, I started to reread her work and and just fall in love with it all over again. You know, I'd read her so much in college, um, and so I I started to write my own pieces, and then I started sharing them and. I couldn't stop. I was I it, I was basically cheating on my novel. That's what I was supposed to be working on. <laughs> I had an agent and we were working on that together. And then I just couldn't stop writing poetry and it felt so it felt so right and I mm-hmm. I kind of abandoned what I'd been working on and um just focused on that full time. Wow. And did you like what does it feel like to just go with what was easiest for you? I don't know if the adjective easiest is is the right one. Um, okay. I'm not sure what it would be though. It it just felt right. It just it felt like I was being true to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like it felt very freeing to not, you know, resist <laughs> resist it anymore. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah, it felt really good. Yeah, like kind of like the path of least resistance. Right. Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when your first book, or the you know the first book that published of your poetry, did you go into that with like the belief like this is going to be a New York Times bestseller, or was that like oh my goodness no shocking? <laughs> that was shocking. First of all, it was twenty twenty, mm-hmm. um, and so that was that was difficult for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I I thought no one's going to buy a book of poetry. We're in the middle of a pandemic. It was an election year. It was it was really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a complete shock to me. I really thought no one would buy it. I I I felt like I was writing it for my friends and family, uh-huh. and then maybe if anybody else wanted to read it, that would be nice. Um, mm-hmm. That phone call was uh, it was was crazy. I I did not expect it at all. No. Hmm. When, okay, because I know like the four structure, right, may sometimes struggle to really digest the things that happen that are positive, like, and that like holding that as part of your identity, right? Like I've done this amazing thing. And do you feel like a New York Times bestseller or is it kind of like, uh, like, is there like a disconnection? 
from that. Does that make sense? Like as someone who's never been there, I'm like, once that happens, like I will feel different somehow. That's kind of the siren song of success, I think, is that Mm -hmm. once I achieve once I achieve X, Y, Z, it doesn't matter, whatever it is. Once I'm at the weight that I want to be, once that I achieve the success um, of whatever the metric is, then I'll be happy. And that is just never true. Mm. <laughs> uh, so no, I don't walk around thinking I'm a New York Times bestseller. But I, <laughs> I also think most most writers don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um in that once they achieve a certain level of success that they feel like a writer, I think there's always a constant struggle there of imposter syndrome and just despair. I think that's Mm -hmm. part of the writer job description is, is kind of having to feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, I I will say there, I don't know if you have ever read anything about Amy Poehler, but she, she kind of makes this joke like that once she achieves some success, you know, high school friends will come up to her and be like, can you believe it? And she'd be like, yeah, I can believe it. I've worked really <laughs> hard to get here. And there is a level of that that I, I admit comes at times when, when people ask me, like, can you believe this has happened to you? And I, mm-hmm. I, there's a, I will often kind of stop and, and uh, a montage of things will flash in front of me trying to arrange childcare. Um, mm-hmm. at making time for me to take my career seriously, all the fights I've ever had with my spouse, um, all the times where I've sat for an entire day trying to write and wrote literally zero words, you know, mm-hmm. crying, crying in the car on the way home. I used to work uh, right at Panera. I'd cry mm-hmm. the whole way home and then switch into mom mode and make dinner. It's like, mm-hmm. I- I'll kind of think, yeah, I can believe it because I-, I did all of that to get to this place. And so mm-hmm. I don't want to like make the make it seem like there I, I am there is there is some I do feel proud at, at times that I, I've achieved what I've achieved but I, I don't walk around yeah. on cloud nine all the yeah. time no <laughs> now a word from our sponsor better help it can be so easy at times to get stuck focusing on problems in our life instead of solutions. I know I can get into that space. And in fact, I feel like I was there even this morning, just focusing on everything that's going wrong and not really seeing all that is going right. And it can be tough to train our brain to stay in problem solving mode when faced with a challenge in our life. But when we learn to find our own solutions, there's no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals and to appreciate the good that's in your life, no matter how big or small. You all know I talk about it all the time. Therapy is everything. I really think it's just no matter where you're at or what you're going through, you have someone who's there, who's on your team, who's willing to listen and who is going, who has your best interest at heart. This is so important and it's important no matter what you're going through or where you are in your life. You don't have to have big T trauma to want to go to therapy. You don't need to be in a bad season of your life to want to be in therapy. Sometimes you just need someone to talk to and other times you really need support. And I know that BetterHelp for me, as you know, BetterHelp was there for me in a time that I really needed it most. You know, I was already talking to a therapist about just normal everyday things and then a big tragedy happened and my therapist was a text 
away. I was able to easily message them, be in contact with them, get support in the time that I needed it absolutely most. And I'm so, so grateful, eternally grateful for that. So if you are thinking of giving therapy a try, which I think we all should be in therapy, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and it's entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists at any time. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com egram today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com egram. Thank you, BetterHelp, for supporting the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, I love that like um, owning of like, yeah. And I think sometimes we think like this is something that happens to us, but this is something that you did, you know, and I think there's Mm -hmm. like a major difference. Um, And at the same time, yeah, I wonder, it's also like you still have to arrange childcare. You're still navigating (laughs) work-life balance. Yeah. I'm still reading negative reviews. I'm still worried about Mm. pressure. I'm still worried that this will all disappear if I can't produce enough. I still Mm -hmm. grapple with social media and how much do I have to constantly promote myself? You know, Mm -hmm. I've wanted to delete all that stuff off my phone so many times because it often feels so empty. Um, And so there's also, there is, there is some of that, like worrying about what I'm doing with my career Mm -hmm. that I think is just normal for everyone. Hmm. I'm curious too. Like, as the type four structure, I would imagine like it's easier to do the creating, but maybe more difficult to do the promoting. And that side of it being like feeling like being afraid of it being inauthentic. Because I know even as a seven, like I fear like how much is too much. How um how much am I selling? How when am I selling too often? How Am I am I unrelatable? Like all of these like fears arise for me, and I like am curious. Like as a as you, I'm not to say I want to say like as a four, but like as you, mm-hmm. um, do you find a balance between those two things, or do you feel like one's easier than the other? I try to I try to keep a balance there, but mm-hmm. whenever it's pre pub, which is right now, <laughs> I'm about mm-hmm. to put another book out. I start to go down the spiral of like, I don't want to be a salesman. That's not what I signed up for. I wanted to write a book of poetry. I didn't want to try to sell it. But unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that's also part of the job. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there is that spiral of despair for sure um, Mm -hmm. that comes around pre-pub. But uh, yeah, I think think a lot of people struggle with this, to be honest. Totally. especially writers and artists. Um, it's just hard to find that balance. Mm-hmm. And I think that like from the outside, you do that so beautifully, just to be clear. Um, I think that you do oh, have you. kind of like a a natural rhythm with it that feels really authentic. Um, 
but I know from the inside of like being on the inside of that process how like much effort <laughs> yeah. that takes. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, what's your favorite part of being a writer? Like your favorite part of your job? I think it's the it's the space to to feel whatever I want <laughs> and mm. and be able to translate that and be able to connect with other people and have have others say to me, oh, me too. That's exactly how I felt. And be able to give people the language um, to describe their own feelings. And that even comes down to, I'll write my friends like um, texts for them sometimes or their <laughs> school notes. Mm. Because I, I I have like one skill set. I, I always joke that if there was like an apocalypse kind of situation, no one would save me because um, – I don't have any actual real world skills, like life-saving skills, but I can write a really great text <laughs> or like an email for someone else. I, I, I have a friend who really hates writing emails. Uh, she's actually yeah. a seven and she, it just, it really put, gives her so much anxiety to write an email. It takes me like two minutes. I'm like, I'm happy mm-hmm. to write this email for you. The, those, this is my skill set, completely unusable in a, a <laughs> situation. It's really funny. And do you have like a writing process? Like, do you have like um, a routine or a ritual that you do around writing, or is it kind of different every day? Um, let's see. I not really. I think my only ritual is to have noise canceling headphones and lock myself in my office. I need mm-hmm. to be removed from my family. Um for sure. That's basically the only requirement is that I'm away from my kids mm-hmm. and I can kind of tune out the outside world. Um, and I usually have a book nearby. That is my, maybe my other stipulation if I'm no matter where I'm writing, because for me, the, the fastest way out of writer's block is to read. Mm. So I will often write with a book open on my lap because if I start to get stuck, I, I just try to get lost in something else. Oh, I love that. Like it, like it makes you, it like opens up the, yeah, the gates. It, 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 and especially if I'm sitting and I, I'm just, my mind is going to, you know, grocery lists and domestic tasks. I will, I'll start to read because that that's helping me transport to somewhere else into a totally different dimension of thought. Mm-hmm. And that, that often helps center me and, and put me into a different headspace because it, it oft, it does feel like two different people sometimes are, are living in the mm-hmm. same body. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I, I'm curious because sometimes I feel like writing, reading does make me feel like, oh, I can, I could write more, but I think sometimes it makes me feel like I'll never be a good writer. Like, oh, this is not <laughs> And I don't know that I've like questioned, I have like a serious question. Like, I don't know if it's just mindset or like what it is about some writing that makes me feel expanded and some that makes me feel contracted. Yeah. I understand. I understand that there are definitely writers that I read where I think, oh, I'll never, (laughs) I'll never be able to do (laughs) this. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's just maybe a shift of mindset to feel inspired by even just the vocabulary and the cadence and mm. to put yourself in that dreamlike space of being able to be in that in that same way, to be able to put your thoughts down in the same kind of way, not the same exact way, but mm-hmm. 
in the same mindset. I, I find it to be really helpful if you can get away from the ego part, which I agree is is definitely a stumbling block. Okay, so what I'm going to sidestep for a second, but I swear it's related. Um, what you're saying kind of reminds me of the shift that I made in my head when it came to other women being beautiful. Mm-hmm. And like, instead of it being like, oh man, they're so beautiful in this very specific way that I could never be, I started just admiring them and just being like, oh wow, look at them. They're wow, look at them. They're <laughs> so beautiful. And then that poured that made me feel loving which made me feel better about me you know made me feel more confident yeah and then like I can look at myself in the same way right like but if I'm looking at them as like my like with a comparison eye then it's like one of us has to win and one of us has to lose whereas that is like oh just look at look at you look at me we're amazing we're just killing it Um, and, yes, yeah. and that can and that can be in so many different areas. When you're reading someone else's writing, or looking at someone else's body, or even looking at someone's house, you can just mm-hmm. to to be able to shift like that. It, it takes a lot, but once you're doing it, it feels so good. And I I never thought mm-hmm. about thinking of yourself more as a loving creature. That's that's such great language to use when trying to convince yourself to, to be that way, because it does feel so good. It feels amazing. Yeah, it does. And and I think like, it's interesting. Next time I read a writer who I really admire, I'm going to try and like go in with the same attitude and be like, look at them. Like, you know, this is so amazing. Look at the words they chose, the way they chose to express themselves and just yes. appreciate. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. So, was it difficult for you to claim the title of writer or claim the title of author? Was there like a a desire for that, but like maybe like a fear of that at the same time? I always felt like a writer just mm-hmm. because that's what I was doing, mm-hmm. you know, from a very early age. Um, so, so writer and, and author did not feel like a stretch. Poet to me is embarrassing. And I will often not say that word. I very rarely called myself a poet. Other mm-hmm. people call me that and I just kind of ignore it. So yeah. um, that's a word that still feels tricky to me. I don't know why. I, I don't know why, but that, that's that been hard. I, I know I'm writing poetry. I know people are connecting with it. Mm-hmm. And yet I still, I still worry that it's not living up to what people assume a poet is for good and bad. And so I just try to put it as into a different category. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense to me if I think about like the, the four structure being, you know, I want to express myself and, and communicate how I view myself so effectively that other people can see me how I see me that, Maybe if poet feels like it expresses something different than how you experience yourself, it would feel like you're giving someone a misunderstanding of you. Right. Exactly. Yes. And I read a ton of poetry and I I think of them as poets. And yet I, I don't know. The, the only time that it's felt right, I don't know why I think about this all the time. I've never shared this with my parents. I should. My parents, I was born in Tennessee, but we moved like after I was born, very quickly after I was born. Anyway, my parents were driving through Tennessee a few years ago and they stopped and snapped a picture of the hospital where I was born. 
And my mom wrote, birthplace of a poet. Whoa. And I felt so, I felt, my family's not super touchy-feely. And I mm-hmm. I had tears in my eyes thinking how they had always seen me like that. And they've wow. said since then, we'd, we'd, we've always known this was you. Mm. And I, I don't know, I guess I, that was so affirming to me. And I guess I should <laughs> claim that energy more instead of, you know, try to shrug it off because I don't know, it just, it was, it was definitely a moment. So it does feel like a compliment. Like it feels like a good thing to be called. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel good. But when I call myself that, it feels kind of funny. I, I don't know why. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. Um, anything? Okay. So your next book is coming out in November. Can we talk about that for a little bit? Sure. Um, what, what is it? What inspired it? How did you know you were going to write it? I knew I was going to write it when I signed a book deal saying I was going to write it. So that was step one. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's very much in the vein of what kind of woman. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a continuation of that. A, it a little bit feels like a breakup album, even though I have not broken up with my my husband yet. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I yeah, it it definitely feels like a continuation of that. Um, but a little bit more sad, <laughs> a little bit more angry, yeah. which I think can be hard sometimes as a reader to expect maybe the same thing as what kind of woman. Mm-hmm. But I'm really proud of it. I really enjoyed writing it. I had a lot of fun with it. A lot of it is tongue in cheek. A lot of it is a, is a little bit silly. Mm-hmm. Um at the same time as being a little bit angry, which m- maybe sounds um, weird to have together. But I, I've i never felt more like myself writing this. And so there, there is an element of that that it's scary to release. Um, but it was really, I, I had a lot of fun. So mm-hmm. and I'm not sure how else to describe it. it. It has very similar themes, though, to What Kind of Woman. Mm-hmm. Well, I love angry poetry. (laughs) Well, then, this is the book for you. This is the book for me. (laughs) Because I just think, like, we don't get to express our anger enough, you know, as women especially, but, like, in our society, it's, like, the emotion we're not supposed to – it's, like, our secret emotion. Right, right. Um, Or, you know, we almost even, like, disregard it as, like, not – the because, you know, it is hiding other emotions. But, like – at the same time, like it's still super valid, and I, oh, I just love when people are just like, "Yeah, I'm angry, and this <laughs> is, this is what's up." Yeah, well, there's a lot to be angry about. There absolutely is. Mm. Um, are you ready for rapid fire? Yes, I'm born ready. Okay. Um, dun dun dun. The first book that comes to mind. The first book that comes to mind is sitting right in front of me. It's called Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder. And that mm-hmm. is an angry book in the best possible way. It's about a mother who's postpartum who feels like she's losing her mind. I recommend it to all. Oh, my gosh. I, I want to read that immediately. <laughs> a favorite song? Right now, I have Invisible Girl by um, – oh, gosh. Who is it by? Gregory Allen. Do you know who that is? Gregory Allen. And I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Anyway, look up Invisible Girl and you will never feel more like a four while you're listening to it. 
Perfect. I live, that's like how I access my emotions as a seven is I (laughs) listen to sad songs or watch sad movies so that I can feel my actual feelings through the lens of like someone else's. Yes. Gregory Mm -hmm. Allen Isakov. It's on Spotify. Enjoy. Perfect. (laughs) Something you wish people knew about you. Oh my goodness. Something, I don't know. These, These are tough. These are really tough. I know. I made really deep rapid fire questions. It's like, how can I answer something so deep so quickly? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, I can't even think of, I'm a really good sleeper. It's like, do I want people to know that I'm a great sleeper? You know how people say that as you age, you sleep worse? I just sleep uh-huh. better. I could sleep for 12 hours. I'm, I'm a great sleeper. So Wait, here's my so random fact. Play? I love that for you. Um, your dream day, what are you doing? Uh, I have full I have a full day of childcare. I have mm-hmm. my three closest friends with me. We take a bike ride, we get lunch, we get silly, we get we get maybe get a little bit tipsy. We <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> lay by lay by a, a water. There's mm-hmm. chips. There's margaritas. Sounds great to me. That does sound great. Your final meal, what are you eating? Oh my goodness. Final meal. I'm so sad. Um, <laughs> what is the context of my, well, I guess it doesn't matter. It's my final meal, whether it's happy or sad. Have I committed a crime? Um, um, yes, you've committed. <laughs> if I've committed a heinous crime, I think I will. I think I'll have just like, you know what? Like a like a pizza, like a really good pizza though, you know, from one of those places where they they're like, I got I flew in this brick thing from yeah. Italy and they like put like arugula on it. I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like rich people oh, pizza. I, I like rich people pizza if I commit a crime. But if it's if but if it's like I'm in old age mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's like I'm hundred and two, I don't think I want that. I think it's gonna be hard for me to eat that. I think I'm going to need yeah. pasta if I'm super old because the pizza is going to be too hard to eat. Um, that that'll be like your dentures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even, even <laughs> like, well, I even have the. It's like I probably gotten past the point of even needing dentures. Anyway, just kind of slide it down my throat. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> I mean, it's your final meal in a way, so might as well yeah, just yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, your food for thought, something people can walk away thinking about today or keeping in mind. Yes. My food for thought, which, um, you told me to think of earlier, like 10 minutes before this, (laughs) I I think my food for thought is that each of us tells the same story, but tells it differently. Um, Mm -hmm. and I got that, that line from a poem and I'm going to read it for you. It's by Liesl Mueller. It's called Why We Tell Stories, which I think is perfect for an Enneagram podcast. Hmm. Why we tell stories, because the story of our life becomes our life, because each of us tells the same story, but tells it differently, and none of us tells it the same way twice, because grandmothers looking like spiders want to enchant the children, and grandfathers need to convince us what happened happened because of them. And though we listen only haphazardly with one ear, we will begin our story with the word and. Mm, That's so good. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah. And where can we keep in touch for those who are meeting you for the first time? Where can they find you? Where can they find your book? They can find me and my book on Instagram, Kate J. Bear, which is basically all on all social media platforms, Kate J. Bear. The J's in there because there's a lot of Kate's. And um, yeah, that's where all my updates are. And I'm so excited for anyone who wants to, to read some kind of weird poetry it comes out November 8th. Sweet. Um, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes for you guys so you can find it easily. And Kate, I could just talk to you forever. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.